Hello, welcome to our latest episode of the Talk That Talk show. It's Barry Holmes here hosting as always, and I'm really excited to kick off our 19th episode. We have not slowed down. If you remember what I said before, uh, the, the biggest reason why podcasts fail, the biggest reasons why they don't sustain success is the reason because they don't last and they don't continuously put out content. I can proudly say that for the last 19 weeks, I have been able to deliver you all this great show that's more than just a a sports show here. Um, The Talk That Talk show has been something that I'm very proud of. Um, It's something that I've been able to incorporate my father into. I've been able to incorporate all of my friends out there. Um, Definitely want to shout out some people on our Facebook live stream. Shout out to Amando Sabo for tuning in. Um, Shout out to Luis Morales. Big ups to Savion Gaynor and Kelly Hannigan-Janes, as usual, who's tuned in. So thank you to all of our regulars that have been listening in. Definitely want to welcome all of our new viewers and new listeners to the show. Um, This show is, you know, one of my happiest times because every week I get to talk sports and I get to talk it with my friends, um, for everybody tuned in. Um, and each week we continue to get better. Um, we're trying to get a lot more of the topics that you want to hear. Um, we're not just covering basketball. We're not just covering the NFL. Um, we're covering a whole bunch of different perspectives and different stories here. So you're not just getting stats regurgitated from ESPN. This is a reflective sports show for the um, for just any type of fan out there. Whether you're a bandwagon fan, whether you're a diehard fan, um, I I hope you appreciate this show. Um, We're always live on Facebook at 7 p.m. You can always check out the full episodes at Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Um, And also, you can check out our YouTube channel at hashtag TalkThatTalkShow. We got a couple videos up there from our recaps of some earlier episodes. So that'll be there for you to tune in. Um, I'm happy to say that we're at uh, 1,598 all-time plays through our streaming platforms. And we're also over 2,200 Facebook live stream views. Um, When I say that I created this from nothing, from zero... Um, to see where we're at now and to see where we're going, I'm just really excited. And, um, you know, the future's bright for us here at the Talk That Talk show. Um, next week is actually going to be my birthday episode. Um, it's the 20th episode in our installment. So we're going to have a lot of exciting things tuned in for you for uh, next week. But before we jump into next week, we got to cover this week, right? Um, so one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk about is the fact that the Atlantic League Um, which is a minor league baseball league, they actually started implementing robotic uh, umpires. And the crazy thing about this is they they tested this out in an all-star game. And, you know, there was a little bit of mixed reviews as far as the consistency of the strike zone and, you know, having that robotic thing take over a human-based game, which is baseball. Um, It's one of our oldest pastimes. And I think that, you know, adding a robotic umpire in there, um, it kind of takes away from the human error that that is umpiring, right? Um, I remember when I was a kid uh, playing Little League Baseball, 
Um, we got the umpire for the little guys and um, going up there and trying to figure out what a strike is and what your strike zone is. I think that was all part of the fun of baseball. Um, when you see some of these uh, professional baseball players, they look forward to certain umpires because they know some have a higher strike zone, some have a smaller strike zone. But um, when you take into account like a robotic strike zone and a completely defined strike zone in itself, um, I just think that it takes away from the uniqueness that is uh, America's pastime, right? Um, if you have umpires that have varying strike zones and you take that away, I think it also takes away from the integrity of the game. So this has been something that the minor league has um, definitely tried out. And another thing that actually I wanted to say that the Atlantic League also tried out is um, they're, they're going into effect of trying next season um, a new rule change which would allow batters to steal first base. Now, it's pretty crazy because it's nothing that we've ever seen before. But, um, you know, a lot of times you can steal second, you can steal third base. Rarely do we see people steal home. But um, the Atlantic League is starting to come into fruition into trying to put into place a rule where you can steal first base now how that would work is is if the uh the pitcher throws it past the catcher if it was a, a mishandled ball you have the option of trying to run to first base before that catcher can throw you out at first base now i think this is a really cool wrinkle um aside from uh the robotic umpire i think this is a human you know rule that can really elevate the game of baseball um when we have some of our guys in baseball that are some of the fastest I think it's really cool when you get to see them steal bases. Um, you know, is it as sexy as the home run? I'm not sure, but I think that this will be a, a great rule change for the uh, major league if it goes through in the minor leagues. Um, you know, being able to steal first base is going to be an exciting wrinkle, um, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, you, we start to see that baseball is trying to make some changes. Um, I, I especially have a segment later on in the show that we're going to talk about some of the, you know, controversial changes that have been going on with baseball. But um, this is definitely a rule that I agree with. And uh, shout out to Savion Gaynor. Um, I, I, I'm at, I, Kelly actually just asked on our Facebook live stream, not just on a drop third strike. This is true. Yes. So anytime the ball is dropped, whether it's a 1-2 count, 0-2 count, 2-0 count, if the ball is dropped by the catcher, you may try and steal first base. Um, you would give up your right to try and bat again if they throw you out, but you would be allowed to steal first base. So, you know, that's going to be something that, you know, probably will be clarified a little bit further, but um, it's definitely a new wrinkle in this that's going to be pretty awesome. Um, one of the things that I actually got to uh, watch today um, uh, I actually got to watch it with Savion at his house. Um, big ups to Savion Gaynor. We're really, you know, big fans of sports. And um, when I went over his house earlier today, um, he had the Wimbledon, uh, you know, tennis game on, tennis match. Um, and I tell you what, um, this girl, Simona Haslep, who um, is going to face Serena Williams in the Wimbledon final, um, she showed me impressive um, ball control, you know, on the court there. Um, I see, I saw in her semifinal match, she has a really powerful overhand strike, um, when she hits that tennis ball. And, you know, I know t Serena Williams has made, um, her living covering ground and just how well she's able to, uh, defend. And, you know, at 37 years old, I think it's very impressive for Serena Will uh, Williams to be the oldest Grand Slam finalist right now. Um, to 
for the amount of years that she's um, dominated the game, I think it's going to be really uh, a really good matchup. Uh, especially tomorrow, I, mean, I think it's on Sat. It's a Saturday at 9 a.m. That Wimbledon final um, for the women. Um, but Serena doesn't have an easy match here uh, when she goes against Haslip. Um, Haslip is a top 10 uh, player in the world. Um, like I said, she's shown a, a great, strong strike uh, earlier in her semifinal match, and she actually was able to, um, you know, win points off of uh, the serve, man. Um, a lot of times in tennis, it's hard for you to win sets or to win games when you're the one that's receiving the serve, but um, I saw her on plenty of occasions in the semifinal round do just that. So Serena does not have an easy road ahead of her, but I think it's going to be a really great matchup on Saturday, so... Definitely shout-out to Serena Williams for being a 37-year-old Grand Slam finalist. But um, we're just going to have to see on Saturday. I'm definitely going to get up for that at 9 a.m. Um, another thing that has been big in the news as far as with the NFL, but um, we have here Melvin Gordon, who went to the San Diego Chargers, and then he said, if you don't give me a new contract, please trade me. And... Um, you know, when you look at what Melvin Gordon was able to do, he had 885 yards um, on 175 attempts. So that's a lot of usage uh, for the San Diego Chargers, especially when you got Phillip Rivers who uh, throws in interceptions at the rate that he does. Um, you see how important Melvin Gordon is. Um, in the past two seasons, he's had 50 receptions, um, and he's shown that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So um, when, you ask, when you talk to me um, – I truly believe that Melvin Gordon does deserve that money. Um, but when you look at the way that the NFL is suited, um, this is not a, a league that's made for running backs. When you look at a lot of our great running backs, um, you saw Le'Veon Bell who sat out for an entire year. But um, the running back position is one of the most underpaid positions in the league, and the life expectancy of a running back isn't as long. So I think that Melvin Gordon has a great uh, case here, and I think he's someone that definitely deserves that high you know, contract that he's looking for. But he's going to have a hard time trying to get that money because we have an NFL and a, com a commission league that is run by the owners. If you look at the NBA, the NBA is a league that's, you know, run by the players. You know, we see Kawhi Leonard was able to push his way out and, you know, get Paul George to push his way out too. And that's just not as easy to do here in the NFL. Um, when you look at the, the, the things that Melvin Gordon is able to do for the San Diego Chargers, he's one of the main components as to why that team is competitive, right? Um when you have Phillip Rivers, who's throwing the ball to, you know, Tyrell Williams, um, you have him throwing the ball to Keenan Allen if he's healthy. Um, that that passing attack is, is something in San Diego that's great, um, but it's not, you know, as great as it really should be. And the reason why that is even there is the fact that Melvin Gordon is playing at the rate that he is. Now, Melvin Gordon, has he played full seasons? No, he hasn't. He's had some injury issues. But... The thing is, Melvin Gordon has been an effective runner, and he's been an effective pass catcher out of the backfield for the San Diego Chargers. So um, it's going to be a difficult case for him to get that money because, like I said, it's hard for running backs to get their money. But, you know, I, I stand with him, and I think that he has a legitimate case here. But it's hard for these NFL players to push for what they want because this is an owner-based league. Um and one of the things that I definitely want to give a huge, huge shout-out to is my boy Tim Hugel. 
Um, I've put out a thing on Twitter. I've put out a thing on Facebook as far as if you want to hear your sports questions heard, you know, post them in the thread. You know, you can always tweet me at BHO732. Okay, that's my Twitter. Um, you can always reach reach out to me on Facebook and, you know, send me some questions that you want to hear. And Tim gave me a really good, uh, you know, slew of questions. So this whole segment is going to be for you, Tim. So thank you for tuning in. And I'm going to answer some of your questions here. Uh, I bowl with Tim weekly. Um, he's a real awesome dude. Uh, his beard's a little bit bigger than mine, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask him for some beard tips. Um, maybe he can come on the show one time. But um, one, of the, uh, one of the questions that he asked here was, when will the Knicks be sold? Now, I'm not going to put in all the stuff that he talked bad about my Knicks because, you know, I'm a prideful Knicks fan. But um, one of the things that we have here is we have a, a question in terrible leadership in uh, James Dolan. Uh, we saw what he did to one of our Nick greats and Charles Oakley. I was at that game where he was, you know, thrown out of the garden like a piece of trash, which was awful. We've seen how James Dolan has responded to some of the fans that have, um, you know, some gripes to him and, you know, banned a fan just because he said that he should sell the team. Um, but that, spans, uh, that fan spoke for everybody that's a Nick fan out there that wants this team to be sold. Um, you look at the Knicks, and we haven't been able to sustain success for decades. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, Tim, um, the Knicks aren't going to be sold anytime soon. Um, James Dolan is the CEO of the Madison Square Garden Company. Um, and unlike a lot of these other, you know, major networks, um, you know, when you have, like, the Indiana Pacers who uh, they're on the, you know, the Comcast network or you have – the Warriors who are on the Comcast Network Bay Area. Um, we have the Knicks who play on Madison Square Garden Network, all right? We have our own network. And, you know, that just speaks to the, the enormity of what is New York. And James Dolan is the CEO of that company. So that encompasses the Knicks, the Rangers, and the Liberty, right? So when you talk about, you know, when is James Dolan going to sell this team, it's going to be extremely difficult for anybody to try and get him to sell it because we have the Rangers who have been doing, you know, they, they're in a rebuild mode now, but they've been to the playoffs and they've been to the Stanley Cup in recent years. And you have the Liberty, who is continuously one of the popular teams in the WNBA. But um, just the fact that, you know, say brings up a good point and, you know, not retiring Bernard King's number. Um, it's just terrible, man. And, James Dolan is not someone that is the greatest owner. Um, we've had J um, the old commissioner and David Stern saying that, you know, in a sidebar comment that uh, the Knicks are not the, the model of what leadership is, um, you know, directly referring to James Dolan. So, uh, you know, it's the cat is out of the bag. James Dolan is an awful owner. You know, it, it, it is what it is. But he's not going anywhere anytime soon. And that's something that we're just going to have to deal with. And if you look at what Scott Perry and, um, you know, the other front executives out there who's, who've been trying to put together a plan B, um, you know, we just have to invest our faith in them to take the Knicks out of the doldrums and to continue with this rebuilding process. You know, um, James Dolan is not going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, with these free agents not coming here, they're just going to have to find a way to get around there, come up with a different marketing strategy to get these high-name players to come to New York. Um, this is still, even though Ky Kevin Durant went to the Nets, even though they got Kyrie Irving, 
this the Nets will still be the little brother to the Knicks for years to come because even in a losing season, a historically losing season, we're still selling out the Garden. The Nets made the playoffs and couldn't even sell out playoff games. So let's just come, let's talk, think about that for a second, right? But I'm getting a little bit off topic here. Um, so I'm going to move on to the next question that Tim had for us. And he said, what's next for the Warriors and is their dynasty in trouble? So when I think about dynasty, um, I think about, you know, a team that continuously has players that stay on that same team, right? You have the Lakers who had Kareem and Magic and Worthy. You had the Celtics who had Bird, McHale. Um, and then you have, you know, the Lakers who had Kobe, Shaq, or, you know, in the later years, Kobe, Paul, and uh, Meta World Peace. But when you look at these dynasties, there's teams that sustain the same amount of players, right? Um, and I think that that dynasty is done here in Golden State because they lost KD, you lose Iggy, you lose Sean Livingston, and even though it doesn't sound big, you lose Quinn Cook. But when you looked at that playoffs this past year when Steph, uh, and also in the regular season when Steph was hurt, you know, Quinn Cook did a great job of stepping into that role and being a great backup point guard. Iggy was the backbone. He's a finals MVP. Um, you have Sean Livingston. It, it's, you know, Sean Livingston was one of the key bench players for that dynasty. And when you have a core like that, you know, you're losing your heart. And a dynasty can go only as far as your heart. So when I look at these Warriors, you know, it's no longer the dynasty. But now we have a team that's finding their own new identity, right? Um, you know, you have a key pickup in D'Angelo Russell, who I think is huge, right? He's going to be a huge player for the uh, Warriors, especially because Klay Thompson is going to be missing a good majority of this, this year. Um, but when I look at how their identity might shift to or what the Warriors might become, I think that it's very, you know, safe to say that they could become more of a pick-and-roll team. We saw him run a lot of spread offense, um, rely heavy on Kevin Durant to bail him out, and they're not going to have that, you know, with Clay being out to sh stretch guys out on the perimeter, and they're not going to have Kevin Durant because he's hurt for a whole entire year, and then he's in Brooklyn. So, you know, I look to see the Warriors transition more into a pick-and-roll team, and then I also think that they're going to be a team that's going to go back to what they started this dynasty on. If you look at what the Warriors were able to do, they were a team that won their money, got their wins on the defensive end. And when you have a team that wins it on the defensive end, I have a team that I believe in, right? And when you have a team that's playing the defense the way that the Warriors were in the playoffs just this past year, they were a lazy team, all right? We saw a lot of uh, times where Clay didn't even run back on defense. Um, nobody was fighting over street screens as hard as they usually have. And that's what happens when you're on top for a lot of times. You think that you can just shoot your way out of it. And I think, you know, this is a great lesson to the Warriors that you just can't walk out and win a championship, right? A lot of other teams are hungry. Um, this team is ba – uh, the NBA is balanced now back to a duos league. Um, I know that, you know, LeBron has AD and might have a couple other pieces. But, you know, the Warriors are going to have to earn this on the defensive end if they want to even get back to the Western Conference Finals. We have some people that don't even have the Warriors being a playoff team, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. But um, this is going to be a great NBA season. That's all I can say as far as that. Um, 
Uh, to answer your question, no, I, I think this is the dynasty is done, Tim. But um, we're we're transitioning into a new year and uh, a new identity for the Warriors. And then another great question that Tim had. He's on fire. We got <laughs> Tim. Thank you for these questions, bro. Shout out to Timmy Hugel. But um, the next question that he had was was with the draft passing. Who are you looking for in the NFL? Who are you looking at? What storylines are you looking to? And I have to say that, you know, the big one for me, I, I really like DK Metcalf. Um, if anybody who doesn't know, wide receiver out of Ole Miss, he's built like a like a, a superhuman. And he was already working out with Russell Wilson. I don't know if any of you saw the video on Twitter or Instagram, but um, the future is really bright for this guy. Um, when you have Russell Wilson who just got paid and he's going to be out there trying to ball his heart out, um, I think DK Metcalf is going to be a great addition and somebody that can really stretch the field um, with speed and physicality and be that wide receiver that you know Doug Baldwin was for a long time for Russell Wilson. Um, we see that Doug Baldwin's had a, a slew of injuries, um, and this year I think that DK Metcalf if he continues to stay the course, can be a great addition for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, another storyline that I'm looking for is what is Daniel Jones? What is he going to do for the Giants? Um, I know that they're saying that Eli Manning is going to be their quarterback next year, but I really want to see is Daniel Jones going to be the guy um, to step up um, if the Giants struggle, which the, you know it could very well possible that the Giants don't win a game for the first four, th five games of the season. And if that happens, you know, do they stick with Eli Manning or do you switch and transition to Daniel Jones? Um, I think it's going to be very important to see how his development is here in the training camp. And that's going to really tell the story for what happens. And we see what happened in the uh, New York Jets with, um, you know, how quickly they brought Sam Darnot and kind of threw him into the fire. And how that can affect a player's confidence. Um, we saw Sam Darno um, make throws that he never made at USC and uh, tried to he tried to do a little bit too much, and that could be a lot for a young player. So I want to see what Daniel Jones's workload is going to look like in New York, and I want to see if he's actually going to get some time. Another story that I really like and that I think is going to be huge is what does Kyler Murray do in Arizona? You have Arizona who drafted a guy in Zach Rosen just last year, last year as a lottery pick. And now they traded him away to get Kyler Murray. So you kind of see, you know, where the state of this franchise is. Um, if you look, you know, to the success of an NFL team, you can look directly at the quarterback. So when you see Kyler Murray with such high expectations, and we just talked about what can happen when you put a, such a workload on a guy early, um, I really want to see what he does out there in Arizona. Um, I think he's going to get a real firsthand take as far as how, what it's going to take to win in the NFL and just how hard it is to win in the NFL. And then finally, um, I got to shout out this guy from Plainfield, New Jersey. Um, it's going to be Rashawn Gary who's going to be the defensive end in Green Bay. Um, you have a, a defense that was historically terrible, might have cost Mike McCarthy his job in Green Bay by how they couldn't stop a nosebleed. And, you know, you have Rashawn Gary, who's a guy who's supposed to be an established pass rusher coming out of Michigan. Um, he has high expectations, but um, he had a better sophomore year than his junior year. Um, I know, he, you know, he didn't play a full season in this junior year, but, you know, there, there's big expectations coming out of Rashawn Gary. 
And, you know, as far as what it's going to take for him to be good, um, we're just going to have to see what happens. Um, A lot of the times, you know, development of these players come a long way as far as what they do in training camp. So I think it's really important for Rashawn Gary to stay focused, stay resilient, and stay healthy. You know, that's the bottom line with that. Um, say, say he must have had a, a an inside track as far as what this show is happening because he he's asking a question that's going to be answered later on in this show. So I want to give him a big high five there because he must have been doing his homework. Um, but then the last question that I, that I want to get into that Tim Hugel asked me was, who do I think is going to win the World Series? And you know, I think this is a clear cut answer here. Um, I know a lot of people want to pick the Yankees, but I'm going to say, you know, the Dodgers are the front runner to win, you know, the World Series this year. Um, they have a 60 and 32 record right now. Um, they got five pitchers, you know, who are really dominating for them. You have Kenta Maeda, who's seven and five, which is still respectable. Um, you have Clayton Kershaw, who's have a seven and two record. Um, you have Hinjin Ryu, who's got a 10 and two record and Walker Bueller with an eight and one record. Then you got Kenley Jansen, who's, you know, rounding out the bullpen with 23 saves. And that's a tough, that's a tough, uh, that's tough when you come into the postseason. Um, they got a 129 run differential, um, which is accounted to a 13 and a half game lead in the NL West. And, you know, we have some of our people on our Facebook live stream that are, you know, talking about the baseballs and whether they're juiced or not, which we'll get a little bit into. But, you know, if they are or not, the Dodgers are taking advantage of it because they're running, they're scoring runs at a high rate, and they're 37-12 and 12 at home. And when you have a team that's doing as well as the Dodgers, they might earn themselves home field advantage early. And if they have the stellar record that they do at home, you know, I, I could see this team making a really long run in the postseason. Um, I will say, you know, you can't count the Yankees out because they're playing really well, too. But, you know, if I had to bet, you know, I think that the Dodgers, they have a deeper team. Um, and they're just they're just a team that, that is really well balanced. And they can beat you with the pitching. They're going to shut you down if they can get you past that seventh and eighth inning with a, a good uh, lead. And, and they bash home runs, man. They're one of those four teams that's on pace to, to, to break the record for the year. So um, to answer your question, Tim Hugel, I think that the Dodgers are going to win the World Series as of right now. All right. And finally, we've had so much buzz here about um, the, the, the juiced baseballs. But we're going to talk about it right now. All right. Let's let's clear it up right now. There's been some questions. Are the baseballs juiced? Right. And kind of the reason why this this um, question has got brought about is the fact that, you know, a lot of pitchers are complaining about whether baseballs are juiced or not. Now, you have Max Scherzer, who went on record to say that, yes, the baseballs are different, right? So some people might say, oh, the pitchers are just whining. They're complaining because, you know, there's more home runs. But stats don't lie. And I'm going to give you all some stats to see whether you think the baseballs are juiced or not. Let's take Justin Verlander, who's one of the best pitchers in the major league, right? A guy who is impressive with the strikeouts. Huge, huge powered machine. If you saw him in the All-Star game, um, he was able to strike out Christian Yelich, right? Um, Really great dude here. And 
he has 26 home runs hit off him this year, right? Last year, he had 28 home runs all of last year hit off of him. And Justin Verlander, this is only half, this isn't even the midway point in the major league season. And he already has 26 home runs that have been hit off of him. The major league baseball is on record to bait the 2017 record of 6,105 home runs. Now, there's been more 450-feet home runs this season already than there were last season, right? And teams, teams alone are averaging 2.74 home runs a game, right? So with those stats, it's very, 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 very possible, and it's definitely believable that these balls are juiced. And you look at the commissioner, Rob Manfred, and he confirms it for you by saying that the balls have less drag. You see how they put that there? The balls have less drag. But if we kind of look as far as why are the balls juiced, we have to look at the stats from last year again. And I think a real big reason as to why they may have gotten juiced this year is the fact that last year was the lowest batting average since 1972. So the major league itself had 248 batting average, right? That's 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 uh it's average, but as far as for the league and you know how much we make it about this is the best league and we have the best hitters, for them to have have an average of 258, it's it's okay. But this was the first year that there were more strikeouts than there were hits last year. So when you look at that and we look as far as, you know, the baseball's trying to get more fans, get younger generation of people to watch baseball. And what better way to do that than to juice the baseballs, right? But, you know, I'm somebody that I disagree. Chicks do love the long ball. And that's also another reason why a lot of people like the home run derby. You got guys hitting over, you know, close to 30 home runs in one round. And, you know, I'm actually one person who I think that they should switch back to the old method of where you get 10 baseballs. Let's see how many home runs you get hit out of those 10 baseballs. I think that that's the best way to do it because it kind of brings the allure back into the home run, right? When you give a guy one minute to just hit dingers left and right, it just shows you how easy it is now to hit a home run. You know, you got Odell Beckham Jr. who could probably go out there and hit a home run with the way those balls are juiced. But, you know, going back to it, um, you know, when you have home runs that are getting hit at an alarming rate that it is, it is good for baseball because it's getting those younger fans, and a lot of people like the long ball. Um, it's the mo- it's the thing that makes baseball the most unpredictable game, and why you have to play to the last out because one swing of the bat can change the game. And you know, I think personally, when you have home runs that are getting hit as far as they are and in as high rate as they are, it kind of takes away from the strategy of what makes baseball baseball. Right? When we were little kids. They always told us, you have to bunt, and you move with the level of the baseball, right? You don't stab at it. Think about how many major league guys can hit home runs but can't bunt the baseball, right? Small ball is gone for, for you know, baseball right now. Everybody just wants to bash their way into the playoffs, and it kind of takes away from the national pastime that is baseball, right? So, you know, fans do like the home run, 
But I think it does take away from the allure of baseball with the balls having less drag on them. So, yes, the baseballs are juiced. And, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I think we should go back to where the baseballs were before and kind of bring back the allure of what a home run is, right? It shouldn't be so easy, right? There's a reason why gated communities are ones that people want so much because you can't get inside them, right? If everybody can hit home runs, what makes home runs so dope, right? So, uh, I hate juice baseballs. Yeah, what about those pitchers duels? We like those Clayton Kershaw, um, you know, Jacob DeGrom matchups where there's 0-0 games going into the seventh. But, you know, younger generation doesn't like that. Um, now, it's transitioning back into the NBA. The biggest story that everybody's been talking about, Kawhi Leonard went to the Clippers. I have to say, I got to pat myself on the back because me and Brianne on a couple shows before, we said that he was going to the Clippers. Even when people said that the Clippers were out of it, I still held true and I thought that they were going to go to the Clippers. Um, you know, you got to give huge credit to Kawhi um, for his recruitment of getting Paul George. I know he said that he wasn't going to the Clippers without him. Um, and I think this is huge for the Clippers. Um, they're the lovable losers because they haven't really done anything. But you know, I think that, you know, Kawhi going to the Clippers definitely played into his narrative. And I think that's why it was easy to predict him going to the Clippers because, man, I couldn't see him joining LeBron James to, to take on the rest of the NBA. That's just not in his MO. I see Kawhi as somebody that likes to slay dragons, right? Um, he likes to take out the, the big fish. And I think that's what makes, you know, part of his legend is the fact that, you know, he's been able to take teams to levels that they've never been to. And I think that's something that, you know, the Clippers were desperately looking for. Um, you know, does that make them a serious contender? Um, when I talk about what the Warriors have to do to get better and to, to move out of their dynasty phase into their new identity, I said they're going to have to do it on the defensive end. And I think that that's something that the Clippers are going to excel in. Um, you have, you know, top defenders in Paul George, um, Kawhi Leonard, and then also Patrick Beverly. And, you know, uh, Montrose Harrell is a great rim protector off the bench or even starting now. So, um, you know, the Clippers are going to be a great defensive team. And if you look at some of the great championship teams, they, they, they do it on the defensive end. So I think that, you know, defensively, they are contenders. It's going to take some time for them to gel offensively um, because we saw it took Miami a little bit of time to gel, right? They didn't win it the first year. Um, but I think that the Clippers, you know, they have the right pieces and selfless guys that should make success a little bit easier to transition, right? Um, Kawhi Leonard is somebody who's, a you know, we have to put him now as a generational talent. Um, and I think that, you know, if he does, you know, bring a championship to the Clippers, you know, this would solidify his legacy as being one of the greatest of all time. Um, you know, to be able to win a championship in three different teams, um, I think that would put, you know, Kawhi, you know, really far ahead. And he would pretty much be doing what a lot of people looked for LeBron to do when he goes to L.A. So I think it's really funny that, you know, LeBron's in L.A. in the Lakers and you have Kawhi who's in L.A. with the Clippers. And both of them are chasing that third championship with a different team. It's funny how the universe works itself out for stories, man. It's pretty crazy. 
And, you know, that that pretty much does it for our show today. Um, we covered a lot of different topics. Um, I hope everybody appreciated this show out there. Um, shout out to everybody that was tuned in on our Facebook live stream. We're going to shout out Jeff Toro. He used to be able to crush a baseball. Um, we got to shout out James Scola, my boy Bryce Allen, Matt Landrum, Christy Lee. Thank you, everybody out there that tuned in on our Facebook live stream. Um, you know, you can always check out this show on, you know, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify. You can hashtag Talk That Talk Show on YouTube. Check out some of our recap videos. Um, we got a bunch of different platforms for you to check out this show. Um, I always want to thank everybody, our new listeners, for tuning in, all of our return listeners. You know, I, I put my heart and soul into creating a great show for y'all. Um, the preparation is there. Um, one of the things that I wanted to share with y'all is the fact that I had one of my best bowling performances of my life on Tuesday. I bowled a 208, a 214, 221, and a 236 and, you know, increased my average to 191. Uh, in 16 games in bowling and you know that's that's come and it kind of like is representative of how this show has come to um, my bowling game is something I've worked on feverishly and then also my game here as a podcaster I've worked on feverishly as well too and you know life is about prog progression and one of the things that I'm constantly reminding myself is that everybody moves at their own pace so you know when you're ready to take the next step you will and, you know, I'm trying to turn that corner here, you know, in the bowling game and then also in my podcasting. So, you know, I can't do that without all my fans out there tuning in. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to continue to look out there and, you know, reach out to my contacts to get you guys the, the greatest sports stories and get you the content that you're looking for. And, you know, all I need for y'all to do is just keep tuning in. You know, subscribe to our Facebook live stream. Subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, because I'm going to come with the best content that you're going to see. You don't have to turn to ESPN because, um, you know, this show right here is going to give you all the angles and some of the stuff that you need to hear sports-wise. So, you know, thank you for tuning in. You can always check us out on Thursday, 7 p.m., um, we got to give our final shout out to our sponsors at VW Liquors located in third, um, Wick Plaza. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. We always do that for Dave at the end of the show. We want to shout out to 91's co with, um, Cody Bromley. His, his fashion line is one of the best in acid wash apparel. And also we want to give a shout out to executive bar and restaurant located in 30 menu street, Carteret, New Jersey. They got the best food and drinks. And now that I am done with that, I am out of here. I got to I gotta get back on the PUBG. I haven't been able to get a chicken dinner uh, you know, today or yesterday. So I got to get on that digital battlefield. And I have to edit this show for you all to tune in. So thank you again for tuning in. I love you all. Let's go Knicks. And I am out. Talk that talk. That's right.